The Encouraging Implications of God's Faithfulness, next on Grow in Grace. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Let this world know me by your love. In a world where faithfulness is needed more than ever, but in short supply, we need to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And we'll do that today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so glad you've joined us today as we continue in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. We'll be turning to chapter 2, where we discover the encouraging implications that God will faithfully accomplish His purposes. He will do what's needed, even if others don't. And these reminders will serve as great comfort, as well as an impetus not to give up. Before delving into these important truths, Pastor Ed begins by reading through our scripture. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 7, as we work our way through the Bible verse by verse, Paul writes, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, or disown literally him, he also will disown us. If we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words of no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word of truth. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us from it, each one of us individually, as only you can do. Give us your word. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. God remains faithful. God is faithful. I read this week a great story about a Pennsylvania Quaker family, a farmer who had three sons, Jim, John, and Sam. Now, no one in the family had ever been to the uh, local church, nor did they have any time for God. The pastor and the others in the local Quaker church tried for years to interest the family in things of God, but to no avail. Then one day, Sam, the youngest, was bitten by a rattlesnake. Doctor came, very worried about him, wasn't sure he was going to make it, so they called in the local Quaker pastor. The Quaker comes in and says, I'll pray for you. Here's what he prayed. O wise and righteous Father, 
we thank thee that in thine wisdom thou didst send this rattlesnake to bite Sam. (laughs) He has never been inside the church, and it is doubtful that he has in all his time ever prayed or even acknowledged thine existence. Now we trust this experience will be a valuable lesson to him and will lead to his genuine repentance. And now, O Father, wilt thou send another rattlesnake to bite Jim? and another to bite John, and a really big one to bite the old man. For years, we have done everything we know to do to get them to turn to you, but all in vain. It seems, therefore, that what our combined efforts could not do, this rattlesnake has done. Thus, we conclude that the only thing that will do this family any real good is rattlesnakes. So, Lord, send us bigger and better rattlesnakes. Amen. Don't pray for rattlesnakes for me, okay? So faithfulness, we're all guilty of failing to be faithful every day in every way. The Bible thankfully tells us that even though we are not faithful, we are faithless, God is always faithful. When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, God said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 100 verse five, he adds, his faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 117 verse two, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. It goes throughout scripture from Genesis all the way up to Revelation. God is faithful. He remains faithful, and he is not moved by our failure to be faithful. Paul is writing to this young pastor in Ephesus, the capital of Asia Minor. It's the first century, about 65 or 66 AD, within a year or two after Nero had torched Rome. And when the populace wasn't excited about the thought of the emperor, doing a city reclamation project, he blamed the Christian sport, which started intense persecution of Christians. Now, Paul is in a prison cell, and he's writing to this young pastor ahead of his first church in this very large capital city of Asia Minor called Ephesus. The verse in this particular section, and in really the entire set of letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, is about God's faithfulness. We read verse 13, if we are faithless, if we don't have any faith, if we fail, he, God, will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I think as we go through that, you'll see there's a great deal of hope for all of us in that. It's the theme of the letter. This section breaks up into these three parts that the word The Bible, God's word, is not chained, verse 7 through 10, that there is a faithful saying embedded here. It actually is probably a song, a hymn that rhymes in verse 11 through 13, and then the word of truth, a summary of it, and verse 14 and 15. All right, so let's uh, jump in and see what God would say about not being chained. Starting in verse 7, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. We looked at this last week, and it created some questions, so let me go a little bit deeper. It says consider, and the Greek word means to have a clear perception after careful consideration. 
Paul says, don't just take these words lightly. What I'm about to tell you and what I've told you so far are important not just for the subjects that they are, but that you would have understanding, and then he makes a really broad statement, in all things. What is he saying? He is saying that the logic, the line of reasoning, the cause and effect relationship with God is a foundation which will lead to an understanding of everything in the world and out of the world, both natural and supernatural. Now, this has led to a lot of discussion about why Western nations have such clear understanding if you look at the number of patents filed for, you look at the Nobel Prizes, you look at inventions, most of them come from the West. Now, that's not very popular to say this, and I expect to get a lot more cards about it. But here's the reality. The reality is the logic of God's cause and effect relationship with us and with the world, the cosmos, the way he built everything, gives us an insight into our own lives and other people's lives and helps us to grasp reality, the truth, the way things really are. So it's not because we're better than in the West. No, it's because we've had 2,000 years of Christianity, America 400 plus, because the people that came here started with the scripture and they had understanding in many things because of the logic. So you grasp this book, you study it, you begin to understand life. It's just that simple. Eternity hangs in the balance, all right? Verse eight, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So here's the first thing Paul wants Timothy and you and I to consider. There's two principles of faith here in regards to the good news, the gospel. There are other important concepts, but with Timothy, he's emphasizing these two. The first one is that Christ is the seed of, of David, that God promised all the way back, starting in Genesis, that the woman's seed would defeat Satan, and it worked his way all the way up through the Old Testament that a son of David, someone in the lineage, the heritage of David, would be the Messiah, now that word Messiah simply means anointed, but they didn't understand as we can look back and understand that God was announcing himself coming to earth. That's exactly what happened. Even though he used words to describe God with us, Emmanuel, they didn't grasp it and they had no idea what it was. That's what Paul is pointing to, that in fact Jesus is the true Messiah, that he is in the line of David, and that he proved it by the second premise, he was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, raised from the dead. Now, he rose never to die again, in fact, and this is the ground, this is the foundation, this is the base of our salvation. We're heading towards the time of year when we think about this more carefully, the resurrection, Easter, that sort of thing. He is the one Jesus, who did that first, and you and I will benefit from that in eternity when he will raise our bodies. We believe in resurrection, but more importantly, he proved that he was who he said he was. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. I have always been. On the other side of the grave, he said in Matthew 28, 18, 
all power in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus speaking, all power in heaven and on earth given to me. Because it was that way before he came to earth, and for 32, 33 years, in that parenthesis, he was God and man at the same time, but now he's back to running the whole thing, all right? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what is proved by his raising from the dead to show himself to more than 500 people, Paul said. That's compelling proof of the gospel. You're tuned to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, who's taking us through 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now to personalize this gospel from verse 8, once again, here's Pastor Ed. According to my gospel. Now, Paul does not mean that he owns it. He doesn't mean that he authored it. But what he's saying is that Jesus gave it to him and he owned it. He took control of it. And that's exactly what you and I are supposed to do. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we grasp the good news that God died in my place so that I wouldn't have to die for the punishment for my own sins, that Jesus took that whole punishment. When you get a hold of that, it's your gospel, just as much as it was Paul's and it is my gospel. The crucified, risen Jesus Christ is at the very center of the resurrection and the gospel. Verse 9, for which, Paul speaking, I suffered trouble as an evildoer. Strong word. It's the same word translated malefactor, talking about the thieves on the cross with Jesus on either side of him. And it means to be tortured to death. You deserve not just the death penalty, but to suffer before it. And that's Paul's point, suffering here. It is a normal part of his life. We should expect it to be a normal part of ours as it was with Jesus. I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. He's manacled, he's shackled. But the word of God is not chained. Now, this is a very popular verse that goes back centuries, okay? I preach this good news, he says, of which I am a prisoner, he told us, and that the Word of God, the Bible, Scripture, is alive. It's a two-edged sword. It's speaking even right now to you and to me and anyone that's listening to this. Not because I'm important, but because the gospel is important. God's Word has power resident within it. It has a resonant frequency that vibrates your heart and mine. Whether or not we like what we're hearing, it has an impact. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The Word itself is powerful. It is not held back. Now, this phrase, that the Word of God is not chained, is all over the catacombs of Rome. If you go to Rome and go down in the catacombs, there's 600 miles of catacombs under the city of Rome used by 10 generations of believers over a 300-year time period. But once you see it in Latin and you recognize it, it, it's around every corner. The Word of God is not chained. It is, in fact, able to do amazing things just by you hearing it. So you and I ought to be writing it on the walls of our heart and making it part of our vocabulary. God's Word is not chained. The insuppressible power of the gospel, because it's resonant within it, God breathed words, and you and I are studying it. Charles Spurgeon 
Victorian preacher, 1800s, in England, was asked one time about how come he didn't defend the Bible. And this was his response. Defend the Bible? I would as soon defend a lion. Unchain the Bible, and it will defend itself. I like that. It meant just let it go and let God take it and bring back fruit from it. John Bunyan, some of you know that name. He was uh, 1600, 1688, he died. He was tinker, a tinsmith, as they called it in those days. And he heard the good news, the gospel, and he got radically saved, a completely changed man. And he couldn't stop talking about the Bible. And he'd read it, he learned how to read, self-taught, and he began to talk about it from street corners. Well, in the 1600s, in England, Bedford, England, you had to have a license to preach. That's the way the church controlled what was being taught. He didn't have one. He gets arrested over and over again. He gets arrested. Finally, he gets arrested, thrown in Bedford jail, and he, out of it came Pilgrim's Progress. If you have not read that as a believer, you should. For many centuries, it was the most published book, second only to the Bible in the world. It's a great book. But while he was there, he couldn't stand to not talk about God's Word. And, and so he kept writing messages, sermons. And he was in a cell that had a single window that looked out onto a block wall that was eight foot high. Couldn't see over. Nobody could see in. He couldn't see out except the sun going by for a few hours of the day. But every day at noon, he would walk over to the window and deliver a sermon to nobody, he thought. But in fact, somebody heard it, brought a second person, brought a third person. Hundreds of people, both believers and unbelievers, sat out behind the wall, unbeknownst to him, and he preached. And many of them got saved because the word of God is not chained. Bunyan was changed, but God's word was not. Another story about the power of God's word. In 1989, when the uh, wall came down, Berlin Wall, between uh, East and West Germany. It was the opening of the floodgates of believers going into the old Eastern Bloc countries, and especially Russia. I know a little bit about an event that happened. It's written up. You can find it on the Internet. A group of young people from North Carolina went into Savropol. It's called Russia, which is down below the Ukraine, near the Black Sea, and a huge city, a third of a million people. And they went there with Bibles, Russian Bibles, to share with people who had never seen a Bible before. Why hadn't they seen a Bible? Because in the 1930s, Stalin, an atheist, destroyed all the Bibles he could find, burned them. But in that one city, there was a warehouse that was filled with old Russian Bibles that nobody knew about except a few people. Well, when they ran out of Bibles, these kids from North Carolina, one of the translators said, you know, there's some more Bibles. We need them. We're all out in a warehouse, but you have to ask the mayor. So the kids, they don't know anything. They just go and ask the mayor, can we have those Bibles? He said, what Bibles? And they go and look, and there's all these Bibles. He said, sure, many as you want. And so they grabbed some kids, college kids, off the streets of the city and trucks and went to get these Bibles. So uh, they got one kid who's a really outspoken atheist, very angry, but he needed money, so he went to load the truck with Bibles. 
And it took a long time to load all these trucks up. And finally, when they were finished, they realized this kid is not around. So they sent everybody out throughout this huge warehouse to look for him. And they found him in the back corner. He's sitting on the ground. He has an open Bible in his lap. And he's crying like a baby. And one of the kids, through a translator, said, what's wrong? Are you hurt? He said, no. He said, this Bible, it's open to the front page, has handwritten in it his grandmother's name and a prayer for her grandson, him that she hadn't seen because this Bible was stuffed away in 1930. She didn't even know she had grandchildren. She prayed for her children and her grandchildren. He gets saved because the word of God is not chained. Years later. Yeah, look it up. It's a cool story. All right. Verse 10, therefore, Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that's you and I, those who are saved, they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, into eternity. I endure. The word endure is translated in some translations, anything, any enduring suffering. I will take on any suffering, Paul says. I'm willing to endure anything for the good news, for the gospel that in fact suffering is part of serving the Lord. Well, Pastor, I just soon pass on the suffering. Could I have the vacation? No, it's part of walking with Jesus. People will criticize you. God works faith in our lives like a muscle. You have to exercise it. So we have to wait for things. Patience, Robert was praying before our service, and, and that's part of suffering. Well, Paul says, I will endure all things because I expect to suffer because Jesus suffered and so would all his who are called by his name. So Judson was the missionary who brought the Bible to Burma. When I went there a few years ago, they were still reading Judson's translation of the Bible in Burma. But he was talking about the connection between suffering and success. Here's what he said. If you succeed without suffering, it is because someone else has suffered in order that you might succeed. But if you suffer without succeeding, it is in order that someone behind you might succeed without suffering. So there's suffering involved that's going to happen. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my suffering for you. Paul saw it as a normal part of life, and he was more than happy to do it. Okay, now we get to the second part, which is a hymn, a song that was sung in the early church. Some say a poem, but if you write music, you see the meter all right away. It's a song. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. Verse 12, and if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, disown him literally, then he will also disown us. And 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Oh, what's all that? It's really a great promise about God. Pastor Ed Ray with a foundational scriptural truth. There's more to learn about this ancient hymn preserved for us in the Bible, and we'll do that next time. So we invite you to join us then, right here on Grow in Grace, as we continue through 2 Timothy. 
For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me.